Happy holidays, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Guys TMG interview. And I'm here with the directors of the new rom-com, Modern Persuasion, coming December 18th on all manner of VOD. However, I prefer to call it a com-rom because it is funnier than your average romantic comedy out there. I have with me Jonathan Lasecki and Alex Appel. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hello, hello. I talked to your lead actress, Alicia Witt, about the film. And I asked her what it's about, and we talked about themes mostly. Of, you know, it's finding lost love. Someone comes into your life and surprises you. Your past comes back and you are and complicates your romantic entanglements in the present. But what is the actual plot? We have this character, Ren Cosgrove, who's a great romantic lead character because you really root for her. And then tell us what happens to her. And I should say, the title doesn't lie. It's a modern it- adaptation <laughs> of Jane Austen's Persuasion. It's literal, but might I point out for people that think it lacks originality, setting it in the PR world and modern times with social media, it is the modern art of persuasion. And so she's in New York working at a, uh, an office, which is a, you know, an, eclect- an eclectic group of characters and someone from her past. He hires them to do yes. PR, reappears back in her life in a work way, as opposed to a romantic way that they have a past. Well, let's get to the cast of characters I mentioned because uh, they don't get out of a scene without doing or saying something funny. And the actors deserve props here. Uh, supporting Alicia is, uh, and forgive me if I butcher her name, Daniela Pineda, Liza Lapira, uh, Lee Jun Lee, and Mark Moses, who everything Mark Moses says in this movie is funny. Yeah, um, Mark, is a, Mark is a pro. <laughs> yeah. What's the audition process like to make sure these actors are going to have that clippy comedic timing that you end up having in the final version of the film? Some of it was attachments or, or we reached out to some people. Some of it was conversations. Like we spoke with Alicia and Alicia is so intelligent and knew so much about the book and was just so gung ho in a way that we knew we needed with the amount of time and sort of what we were working with that she really like rose to the top of the pile immediately. Some people auditioned, some people read we definitely had a casting director. We, we had a few weeks of seeing people read. You know, the funny thing about auditions is we had people come in and audition who were amazing. And any other day of the week, if we didn't have like two people for the same role, would have gotten it. There was one woman who was so great. I, I won't mention her specifically, but I just like loved this woman's audition. It was brilliant. And then we wound up not being able to cast her. <laughs> so... It was, it was sort of a mix of, of reaching out to the right people, having some people read. And, you know, Mark, I believe we just offered because we knew what he would bring to the table. He's a genius. And, you know, he's in my, and most people's favorite episode of Mad Men of all time, The Suitcase. You know, it's just, that's a three-hander with him and uh, the two leads. Of, so with someone like that, you know, or with B.B. Newworth, you, you, you know, she's not coming in to read. You're just like <laughs> crying when she says yes, that she'll do a movie with you. You know, like it was like an utter joy. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a combination. Like Tedra Milan, who plays the younger of the two junior associate lady characters, came in to read and she like blew us away. She was so fantastic. And she actually read for two different parts. And we just knew with her that she would have to be in it and then we would figure it out as what later. There was some discovery in there too as well, yeah. Now I noticed you you both have a lot of acting credits. So is this film kind of the response to, hey actors, go out and make your own projects. 
And so he said, I'm going to, now this is your second feature, I believe, right, uh, Jonathan, but uh, Alex, you're yeah. first. So what was it like creating this project uh, from scratch? Uh, I know, Jonathan, you had a hand in co-writing the script. Well, it's my first for directing a feature. It's not my first for producing. And I think actually it might be part of the Canadian actor culture. Johnny can answer. I mean, I'm sure it happens in, in the States as well, but there's really a sense of right when you start work that, you know, in this career that uh, it's going to be slim pickings and there's a real drive to create your own work. So right out of high school, I was doing like fringe shows and theater stuff. And, you know, that obviously doesn't have much of a shelf life because it doesn't get captured. But I think I've been producing probably as long as I've been acting. The directing, it's I did a short back in, I think, 2000. So just started to get my feet wet that way. And Jonathan, jumping into this project, was it, the, I mean, you have a feature under your belt, but do you sit around and go, I, enough of this. I need to just do my own thing. If you're, I don't know if you're waiting for, well, you know, you actors can't sit around like, and wait for work, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, like a, a person who acts on purpose. I sort of do it for fun sometimes. I, I did when I was younger. <laughs> I certainly, and also like Alex, we do have this in common. In New York, I did like 30 plays where sometimes I would act, sometimes I would direct, sometimes I would pay for them, you know, like, or produce <laughs> or, or beg really other people to help. So I just have a lot of experience working with people. And with, with my last feature, the main cast were all people I had been in shows with and, and they were improvisational type shows where I sort of knew with those people that we were already a community that would be stronger together, sort of if we were all in the film. So in my first film, I'm in it. This one, I definitely didn't want to do that. I think we just wanted to focus on, you know, crafting it. But yeah, like Alex said, it's it's sort of an opportunity thing. If you want to keep working in this business, it's it's good to be able to branch out. And I do I do like writing for other voices. It doesn't have to be just me. I'm not selfish like that. <laughs> I just wanted to add, and I, you know, let me know, Johnny, if I'm over speaking for you, but I think also, I, I think we're both innately creative people that have stories we want to tell. So the joy or interest in acting is equal to also wanting to create these stories and these lives and, you know, filmmaking has always been like a big passion. So it's not necessarily to create work. I mean, we both certainly aren't in this film and I don't think either of us had any interest in it. We're like, we have um, <laughs> I wanted to stay in our, you know, pajama type clothing that we wore to set and not have to. <laughs> that was a real relief to not yeah. give a leap about the look <laughs> when I roll into set. The thing is I love being in other people's stuff. I love helping them achieve their goals. I, I love like finding comedy and things, but you can do that in any position, really. It, it, what Alex said, it's, you know, we, we both are passionate about film in general, so it's not a specific job anymore. It's really just like being involved. Were you passionate about Jane Austen? And what was the, uh, the adaptation like? Because people do that with Shakespeare all the time. It's Hamlet, but it's in a corporate building or, you know, it's Midsummer Night's Dream, but we're in on a cruise liner, whatever. I what, did Macbeth with in a motorcycle gang on Martha's Vineyard. So. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so why New York? And did you love this novel so much that that's what spoke to you for your next project? I am a huge Jane Austen fan and it's sort of a thing in the family like Pride and Prejudice is my dad's favorite and he will also say, which I disagree, the Colin first version isn't his favorite, he likes the older one. 
most accurately told of that of that story. So yeah, I've been a huge Jane Austen fan and reader, and I've always loved persuasion. And it's one that, for what I realized were obvious reasons when we started tackling problems about Johnny and I with, you know, how to like make it in the modern world without making her a spineless character that people wouldn't understand because <laughs> it's it's a tough novel to adapt for the changes since those times I mean it, and also it's not really a plot heavy novel either it's um so a lot of what we had to do to update the story was like a puzzle I, I was speaking to someone else and I was like it was sort of like chess it was very hard to move all those pieces around. In the novel, it's and the time it takes place, it's very easy to relate to the exact situation that happens, which is when she's younger and of marriage age, she is not allowed to marry the love of her life. And then he goes away and he comes back, you know, this huge war hero who is now rich because that's what happened then. She's no longer, you know, of marriage age then because she was an old maid at 28. And so they're trying to set him up in the novel with her nieces. All that stuff doesn't quite play now. So, so figuring out that puzzle was a challenge, and and I think we did we did a good job of it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that that part of the plot is like tough to automatically update in the exact manner that you could with some other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the you know figuring out what the core of the story is, and you know the core that I really love about it was a second chance at your first love. And, you know, then it was just about like, what are the key points that happen in the novel that are sort of what make it persuasion and Jane Austen? And, you know, how do we work that stuff in while not offending everyone and having people dislike Ren because she's told she can't be with someone because, he, you know, he's not rich. <laughs> like, you know, the thing is that does happen now. I mean, you can still, definitely find a place for that in modern times but I, I think Johnny and I both felt like that's not a very likable quality so we found other ways around it and hopefully we did a, a good job with you know keeping the essence to keep the Jane Austen fans happy with also making a movie that makes sense for today. Like I said I rooted for Ren I loved her you know and you know you see her of course get involved in shenanigans where she's like catches herself under the table when <laughs> he walks in the room and she's got to make all these concessions for why she's doing silly things but the whole time she's adorable and you want the best for her and that i mean like little women when they despite all the brilliant adaptations of that novel don't you just want to shake joe and say make yourself happy anyway i don't i didn't have to do that here any old premises about 28 year old old maids or whatever were just left behind in, in favor of, uh, of really yeah. rooting for Ren and enjoying it. I think on a very early draft, we kept in, because the big thing in the novel was that she was being past her prime. And I think John and I had a few conversations and we're like, meh, really, really <laughs> agree with that still being in. And that just, we had to get rid of that. Cause yeah, we, we didn't need references to that anymore. <laughs> we're both very pro women and we're both very pro wise and, and, and lived women. <laughs> there you go. Now, did shooting in New York give you any challenges? Did it? Oh, it should be friendly, but you know, you never hear, you never know with that big city. I mean, aside from, I mean, New York is challenging because it's a very expensive place to shoot, but I, but I think like on the whole, we, we got pretty lucky. We got some great 
location. We had an amazing locations person. Um, we just, you know, I think on the whole, I don't remember like real challenges except for the normal things, which is New York is crazy loud. And, you know, some days you rent this huge place, build a, you know, office set. And then there's like a wedding down the hall that wants to have a dance party, you know, like things <laughs> like that. But, but um, it wasn't challenging in the other ways that, that I've been challenged before. Like, I don't think we've lost locations at the last minute or, or had any of that kind of like very tense stuff that I've had happen on other films I've been involved with. But Alex, maybe you remember something better um, or worse? No, well, I was gonna say, I mean, we had such a fantastic crew and cast and, you know, it really, it's my first time working, shooting something in the States to begin with, but then also being New York. And John already mentioned it, the thing that was really shocking to me and I'm like, oh, I guess this is why they like to film Toronto as New York is, it's quieter. <laughs> yeah. New York is apparently loud and the amount of times we had a hold for sirens and honking and it's just, it's, I love the city. I love the vibe. <laughs> I gotta tell you when you're shooting a movie, it's challenging sound wise. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it never sleeps. You think, yeah, I'll shoot at three in the morning. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we, we come home late, you know, because we had one day where we went, I think, to like two in the morning or something. And it was a weekend. And I mean, people are just out on the streets and partying still. And we're like, we're exhausted. We're going home. <laughs> we shot in June and July. You know, it was like, no rain, no rain, no rain, no rain. And then like, one outside day, oh rain, you know, like things like that can happen. We had, found you. We had, we had very limited time in the Hamptons. That, that was tricky. I feel like those locations were very short amounts of time and, and outdoor stuff, like the stuff on the beach and, and that, that we definitely had to race against the clock for some of the, those things. Yes, they had their own soirees to get to and needed you out yeah. of the way for the party that evening with Phoebe. Yeah. And one of the complications with uh, doing Jane Austen it's really about a lot of social occasions and parties and that doesn't work well with a small budget yeah. <laughs> limited time and uh, I think this is where Johnny and I you know did such a great job being partners because we just divided and ruled different areas to get everything done on those days where it was just madness where we have all these extras and moving parts and you know, it was a kind of a lifesaver, you know, to just be able to like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person, you talk to that person. <laughs> Speaking of the people partying out on the street, this was clearly shot pre-pandemic. Did uh, the lockdown affect post-production at all? Or was it done by the time you got, uh, we all had to stay at home and not work with each other? No, I think yeah. we were pretty much done. It, it definitely affected the release strategy and the plans it, for it, it affected festivals and release, obviously. But yeah, no, we were lucky that we got through all the posts before the new year and the new surprises. So how do you get to a sale to Samuel Goldwyn Films? That was from Myriad Pictures. They came on as our sales agent and they were one of the U.S. distribution companies that wanted to bid on the film. And pretty much they, they deserve the credit for that. No, it doesn't hurt to get a good company like that in your corner, you know. I think indie comedies are tougher to pull off than indie horror. They'll both have about the same budget, but indie comedy, I mean, you, you can get scared or something a lot easier by horror film. Com it's tougher to make people laugh. And again, this movie made me laugh a lot. And I was really, 
really uh, excited to sit down and watch it. I'm like, oh, here we go. What is this? And then just funny, funny, funny. Again, I'm calling it a Comra. And it's available that's December that's a huge I, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, A lot of that funny is owed to Johnny's script. I mean, I, he's hilarious. And he writes so quick-witted and and clever. And, and then, obviously, the wonderful actors that just can bring that alive. It's, uh, it's nice. But, yeah, well, you're right. It'll fall on its face if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you what I ask everyone who I interview for the movie, guys. What is your favorite movie of all time? Alex? <laughs> um, and that okay. awkward pause is natural. Here's the, Here's the thing. Oh, I think we were being polite to see who wanted to jump in first. <laughs> oh, okay. Most people are grinding um, but, the gears in their head trying to come up with something. I, no, I've always had the same answer. And what oh. I, I always say is I, I can't do one. I have to do three because they've just been my three since ever. And it's with Nail and I, Harold and Maude, and Edward Scissorhands. If you ask me to pick, I will not pick. <laughs> You've have- taken a ride on the oddball train. That's Those are good eclectic choices. I love that. <laughs> Harold and it- Maude is so good. I mean, it's just the performances and the tone and the vibe of that oh. movie is outstanding. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's no coincidence that in the script that Ren says she used to have a goth girl phase because that, uh, that was a little drawn from me <laughs> in my early years. She didn't pretend to kill herself like Harold, though, a lot. <laughs> no. no. I also, you know, I've had to ask, answer this question before, and I'm always like, here's five, <laughs> which is terrible. Feel free to cheat. It's what, you know, um, you do what you got to do. I would say for this type of film, for the, the inspirational movies for me are always, well, like His Girl Friday is a huge, uh, I love the, the people who talk fast and a lot. I love that style of comedy. Um, I really love All About Eve. It's one of the best scripts ever written, but I would say like my favorite script of all time, and this isn't really a comedy, but I find it hilarious is Network. I think Network is like, is just the the best movie. I mean, it's like predicted the entire future of the where television went. It's a genius and a, very funny, even though it's a dark movie. Those are three movies I, I, I look to when I'm thinking about, you know, Comedies with a lot of words. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was going to use the word screwball comedy earlier when I was yeah, describing. Yeah, it's one of my favorite genres. I really, I really like enjoy that type of film. And there's other examples of What's Up Doc is an amazing example of like a version of a screwball comedy, or even like Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids is hilarious and like really takes, you know, from those examples and sort of builds on it in the same way. I, I quite like that type of film. Can't argue with any of those choices. Those are great. Well, let's uh, do final plugs. So uh, Modern Persuasion is out on December 18th on all manner of VOD. And again, don't just sit at home and think, oh, I'm stuck with what the streaming services are offering me. Go find this movie. You know, it's uh, definitely worth the trip. Where else can we find you guys? Do you have social plugs or anything else you want to give us or upcoming projects? I'm working on a TV adaptation, but I don't think we're like, we're talking about it yet, which is so lame, but whatever. (laughs) But it's going well. I actually am supposed to have a draft of something due today. So so I better get on that. (laughs) Social media wise, I'm on on all the social media. It's, It's fairly easy to find me. I have a script that's getting close and actually have, and I don't know why I'm taking this on so close to Christmas, but, uh, um, doing a, a read through of it to hear it out loud this Saturday, and it's called Live Your Worst Life. It's kind of a train wreck 
that's Bridget Jonesy. You know, modern persuasion is very clean and classic, and this definitely isn't that. But I think <laughs> it's both very funny, though. <laughs> well, Bridget Jones' diary is no slouch of a book and movie, so that's good company to keep. She's a great character. She's a great character. Bridget Jones, also based on Jane Austen, right? Oh, it's true. Got a Pride and Prejudice angle. Mark you know. Darcy is no coincidence. That uh, and Colin Firth, the two things are clearly no coincidence yeah. for Helen Fielding. That was the unfortunate thing because the second book has one of I, I think it's the second one that has my favorite scene of all time that they couldn't do in person because Colin Firth is actually in the movie. But in the book, she interviews Colin Firth and she's such a fan. And the interview she does with him is hilarious. Like I read that chapter over and over again and just couldn't stop laughing anyway oh my god i never knew that they could have had a total oceans 12 type meta moment uh, oh yeah <laughs> that would have yeah. been cool yeah. all right well uh for everything uh, we're up to at the movie guys go to the movieguys.net and we're at the movie guys on all your social media as well and uh thank you very much jonathan and alex i appreciate the time thank you thank so much and and oh one last thing what are you gonna do are, there's no big premiere what are you going to do? How are you, how are you celebrating the release of this movie? Everyone's got to kind of have work around, a pandemic work around. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. How are we doing, man? I don't know. <laughs> Zoom. I'm going to be drinking a lot. <laughs> we'll leave my, it there. My, my, my only friend that's in my bubble is doing a move December 18th, so I can't do it with, I can't watch it with her. All right, well, consider this your call to action to go figure something out and get a big, uh, whatever we call a party in 2020 uh, going to launch this thing we should get on that johnny <laughs> yeah, <very laughs> all right have fun and thanks thank, thank you, you so much